All right, you guys can take a seat. Can we make some noise for, for this team up here in production? I love this. We're so spoiled with music here. So spoiled. Um, all right, well, I have the honor of introducing our guest speaker. And a lot of you know Red Rocks Church is bigger than just this location in Austin. If you don't know, it, it got started about 15 years ago in Denver. And we now have a few uh, campuses in Denver. We have three campuses in prisons. We have one campus in Brussels, Belgium. And now we have uh, the best location in Austin, Texas. It's new. And... Um, and uh, uh, from back in Denver, this guy, Ronnie, is our teaching pastor and plays so much of a role in uh, not just vision, but also the systems that deliver that vision. And he does so much for Red Rocks Church as a whole with the culture that you feel. And, um, and uh, he happens to be one of my best friends. And we used to sit around campfires in his backyard about two and a half, three years ago and uh, talk about one day planting churches. And I always said, man, when we plant a church in Austin, you'll have to come and be a guest preacher. And so this is really special for me to get to introduce him to all of you guys. And so um, he's one of the most fun guys I know and fun preachers I know and most passionate that I know. And so with, with the concept of we, wanna, we want church to be enjoyed and not endured, I will extend an invitation to all of you guys. If you, if uh, first of all, like when you smile at us, while we're up here, it builds confidence so much. Like I know, I know Deborah, um, Aaron, Christy, like I know where my smilers are. When I'm like, I need a confidence booster and I'm like, this is not going well. I will just make eye contact with one of you and that's all I need. And, uh, and so I wanna also invite you not just to smile, but like, and this is not to create some inauthentic atmosphere. This is simply just church is better when it's more of a dialogue and less of a monologue. And if you agree with something or Ronnie says something good, which he will, and you wanna shout amen or hallelujah or preach or that's good, like you just do that. And once again, not to make it weird, not to make it weird, but sometimes we feel like, am I allowed to say anything? I don't think I am. You are allowed to say stuff in this church and talk back to the preacher. In fact, I know that he would love that. And so, Ronnie, will you get up here right now? Thanks, buddy. Love you, buddy. A lot of pastors uh, practice what they preach, and this man, and I mean this with all my heart, preaches what he already practices. And so we're in for a treat, and let's go, man. Bring it. Love you. Guys, can you give up for your pastor? He's amazing. You can do better than that. Do you love your pastor? There we go. Um, I'm so excited to be here. I'm blessed to be here. It's surreal to be here. Um, like Doug said, just a few years ago, um, the whole Austin Red Rocks Church location was just like a dream and an idea inside of Doug's mind. And so sometimes things that are in Doug's mind are just crazy ideas. Um, this is one of those crazy ideas that God actually decided to put his hand of blessing and favor on. And so it's cool to see all of the life change that's been taking place, hear of all the miracles that God's working behind the scenes. Um, can I just tell you and hopefully build your faith, you're on a ride of a lifetime um, it's very rare that God places his hand on a church in such a way that allows him to grow and to reach people and to take territory and to see life change. 
you're a part of one of those churches um, and you're following some people that I would give my life to follow. Um, they're some of my closest friends, some of the people that I look up to the most. Um, out of all the pastors, I get an opportunity to brush shoulders with. Um, so you guys are in good hands. Um, the best days for Red Rocks Austin are ahead. I hope you believe that. If not, let me just um, spend a few moments if I can, hopefully just building some of your faith. Uh, I want to preach this weekend on a story of a man that his, in his beginning um, probably had a, a story very similar to you and I. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every day going like, I am destined for greatness because I got the greatest story. I was dealt the best hand. Um, I'm the best looking, most gifted. I, I don't wake up um, thinking any of those thoughts, any of those feelings. If anything, most days I wake up wondering if God actually could do something, not even great through my life, but could he just use me to do something, something significant, something meaningful or purposeful. And the story that I want to read from um, this weekend is a story of a guy that had a normal existence. Anybody ever felt normal? Just me. There we go. You felt normal. You're, you're, you're at, your life feels average. Maybe your job feels lackluster. Maybe you feel stuck in a relationship. Maybe you feel stuck in a career. Maybe you feel stuck in an addiction um, or a, a, an issue in your life. Um, this is one of those guys that, that, that checked all of those boxes at some point in his life. Yet at the end of his days, um, he was one of the most influential men in Scripture, one of the most influential kings to have ever lived. And so uh, I want to just maybe spend a few minutes sharing from this um, during this week two of this series we're calling Bricks and Stones. And let me just say this. Um, we as Red Rocks Church, not just Austin, but everywhere around the world, um, we don't really talk about money or offering. So if this is your first weekend and you're like, great, I show up week one and I'm in a church and they want my money. Um, we don't want your money. Um, we actually want far more than that. Um, we, want, we want to see God do some amazing things through your life. Um, and if you never give a cent, we believe that God can still do that through your life. Um, but this series is all around generosity. And here's the truth. Red Rocks Church um, has grown to be um, a very influential church around the globe. Um, and it's, I'll just tell you this, it's not because of great preaching. Um, and it's not because of great worship. Um, it is purely because of the grace of God and because we've made it a rhythm in our church life to end our year with, a, with a, a sermon series around generosity. And it's been the generosity of the people of Red Rocks Church that has enabled us to have locations all around the world. And now people can watch online and in prisons and they're meeting in office complexes and dorm rooms and coffee shops, gathering together to hear what's going on at Red Rocks Church. Um, but it's all been built upon the sacrifice of people. So every year at the end of the year, we're, we have no apologies um, that we extend around the fact that we are simply going to extend an invitation to whomever wants to participate to see the good news of Jesus Christ go around the globe. And so that's all that this series is. It's an invitation. And it's because our people have said yes to that invitation that it's enabled us to do expand in new cities. Um, it's enabled us to say yes when God opens up doors of opportunities for our church. And so I'm believing that this year, uh, I'll just speak prophetically, um, this is going to be a, a foundational year that God's going to use to springboard you guys and allow you to expand and increase and take territory, get buildings, see your influence grow. Um, I hope that you believe that. 
Um, but on the backside of, of every move of God is a group of people. Um, doesn't need to be a big group of people, but it's a group of people that say yes to sacrificing to see that work of God take place. Um, sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's, it's your gifting. Sometimes it's just laying down your superfluous or superficial needs and desires to be able to say, God, I want what you want in our city, for our city, through our church. And so I'm believing that this is going to be an amazing year for you guys as a church, um, but it will require sacrifice, and that's what this whole series is about. But I will say this, um, you're linking arms with a church that is now meeting globally in Europe and in now Texas and all over Denver and in prisons um, that our church has always sacrificially given to this um, and as a byproduct, we're here today um, because people in Denver said we want to reach people that are far from God in Austin, Texas. So I'm excited um, about this weekend. Um, I, I want to also say if you're visiting, there's a verse in, in Scripture that speaks towards some of the discomfort that sometimes we have. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says this, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And it says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Feel no pressure. The Bible actually says God doesn't want your money out of pressure. God doesn't even need our money. But he says, for God loves a person who cheerfully gives or who gives cheerfully. And so if you feel any pressure, you feel like you need to give under obligation, please feel free to not give. We don't need anything from you. But we believe that God builds some amazing things when we decide to say yes and give out of the overflow of gratitude in our hearts. So I'm going to dive in. You can open up your Bibles to 1 Chronicles. Um, we're going to spend some time there reading about the story of King David. But before we do so, I want to pray for us. God, I just submit um, myself before you. And God, we submit this moment that we share together before you. Um, God, I just pray for every single person that's here this weekend that um, might come to church out of routine and, I, and when the routine happens, sometimes we forget that we're coming to encounter a living and active God, a God that wants to change us, a God that wants to speak to us, a God that wants to set us free, a God that died so that we could have freedom from our sins, a God that, that, that died so that we could experience relationship with him. And God, I pray for anybody whose heart might feel dormant right now. God, I just speak life and I speak faith. I speak expectation. Uh, and God, I pray that you would encounter some people in some fresh ways this weekend as we set ourselves up to respond with a boisterous and a confident yes to every single opportunity that you open to us. And we pray these things all in the precious name of Jesus and the faith-filled, crazy 11 o'clock said, amen. amen. All right, open your Bible up to 1 Chronicles. We're going to start in um, chapter 21, uh, and we're going to start in verse 7. And I wanted to share this story this weekend because um, really this is a story of one common, average, ordinary man that responded in a way that seemed to captivate the heart of God. And this man, maybe more than any other man in Scripture, was able to captivate the heart of God through certain things that he did and believed and responded um, in obedience to. And so I want to read this weekend about King David. And I just kind of want to set up a little bit of context. 
So King David, at this time, he's getting towards the end of his rule, the end of his reign. He's been one of the most influential kings that Israel has ever seen. Um, He's seen the faithfulness of God in what seems like around every single corner, everything that he places his hand on seems to prosper. Um, This guy started out as as a shepherd um, watching sheep in a field. And and when we pick up this story, he's one of Israel's most influential kings, like dramatic change of events. If you feel like you're in a dead end job, try watching sheep for a week on end out in the middle of a field. Um, he feels like he's, he begins his life in an in a uncommon, um, undynamic, un- in, a, in a way that seems like it's just unspecial. And God begins to intervene in his life. At this time, during this story, David begins to take up a census. And what's interesting is this census gets this weird response from God. God kind of despises the census that he takes. David goes and he conducts and he decides, I'm going to go out and I'm going to count all of my military. I'm going to figure out how many guys, able-bodied men we have. And I want to figure out what's the strength of our military. What's the strength of our army? What's the strength of our nation? Oftentimes then, nations would gauge their strength and gauge their prosperity based upon their military. And so David goes, I'm going to number all these guys and figure out what we're working with. But look what it says in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 7. This is God's response. It says, God was very displeased. Lean to your neighbor and tell him, very displeased with the census. And he punished Israel for it. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly. Tell your neighbor he sinned greatly. I have sinned greatly. I'm going to get you to talk one way or another. Come on, somebody. I have sinned greatly by taking this census. And then he says, please forgive my guilt for doing this foolish thing. Now, this passage is kind of weird because kings would take census all the time. Um, They they would take up tax all the time. They They would count their numbers all the time. And so this particular occasion, for some reason, God took great displeasure in the fact that David took up this census. One of the things that's interesting is, have you ever been in a situation where maybe you do something that all your other friends do, yet you feel a tremendous amount of guilt when you do it? You ever had that? Like, it seems like everybody else is okay to do this, and God blesses them. But whenever I do this, it's like your heart is in turmoil. Your heart is in disarray. Sometimes in our lives, there's certain things that we'll do that God will allow, but what he wants to address isn't the action in and of itself, but it's the heart behind the action. This is what's happening in King David's life. It wasn't so much that the census was evil. The census wasn't evil at all. It was normal. He's just counting his military strength. What was evil was the heart behind the census. You see, David had seen the faithfulness of God. God's hand of favor and blessing was on his life. Remember, he started as a shepherd boy. Now he's king over God's people. This this doesn't just happen. They're not out looking in fields for the next king. This was a move of God. How many of you remember the story of David killing Goliath? 17. You got to preach on David killing Goliath. David kills Goliath. David's seen the hand of God's faithfulness and his favor on his life from from almost day one of his existence. And so when it comes time to taking the census, what David was trying to do in his own heart was affirm his prosperity. 
affirm his own strength, affirm his own significance. How many of you have ever tried to affirm your own strength or significance or your identity in the things in which you have accomplished? The heart of God looked at David and he recognized, man, David, I've been faithful to you. I've provided for you. Every ounce of success that you're experiencing came from my hand. The Bible says every good and perfect thing comes from God. And, and now you want to gauge your significance and, and your strength based upon your military that you developed? This doesn't make any sense. Why, why would you do so? David's heart was grieved. It's interesting because when David goes and he laments before God, he goes, God, forgive me. Because I've greatly sinned against you. What's interesting is David sinned on many occasions throughout his life. How many of you remember the story of David sinning in adultery with Bathsheba? It's probably a pretty significant sin. If we're going to measure our sins, this is a pretty big one. And then he kills off her husband and has a kid with her. Um, it's not a great situation. Yet throughout every single time David laments and confesses before God... He always says, God, I have sinned against you. But after the census, the Bible says, I have greatly sinned against you. How many of you know sometimes there's those things that God's just trying to get your attention? He's trying to, 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 to get you to refine something inside your heart. Maybe it's a, a thought pattern Maybe it's a sin pattern. Um, maybe it's a way that you always talk and you wish that you were a little bit more compassionate. You wish that you were a little bit more loving and you always lash out. And then there's that time that you do it again. What feels like for the thousandth time, this is David. And so when, after he sins against God, he goes, God, I've greatly sinned against you. I realize that what I've done is horrible in your eyes. I realize that you've been trying to get me free from this for a long time. He was greatly, he greatly sinned against God. And what's interesting is it says that God sent a plague upon the people. And he kills 70,000 people because of David's actions. When I read this, I'm kind of like, God, loosen up a little bit. How many are grateful that when you sin against God, when you, when you forget the faithfulness of God, he's not like, that's it. I'm killing 70,000 people, Ronnie. you got to get your belief in order. you got to build your faith, son. I'm really grateful he doesn't take out 70,000 people. But this is what he does in response to David's census. God's trying to prove a point to this man that he's been missing. So God sends this angel to go and judge Jerusalem on the way. God says, stop, wait a second. I want you to halt in verse 15. And then in verse 18, it says, Then the angel of the Lord told Gad, who was one of David's advisors, to instruct David to go up and to build an altar. Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him through Gad. So David hears the word of the Lord and decides, I'm going to immediately respond in obedience. If God kills 70,000 people because of my disobedience, the next time he asks me to do something, I'm probably going to respond with obedience. So it says that he, he goes there immediately. And verse 21 says, when Arana saw David coming... 
He left his threshing floor and he bowed before David with his face to the ground. And David said to Arana, let me buy this threshing floor from you for its full price. Not the greatest negotiating skills. And then he says, then I will build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. So David knows God's sending me out here to build an altar and sacrifice before him. And once I do so, he's going to make everything okay again. He's going to stop the plague, stop the judgment. And this is all on me. This is all on my failure, my inability to trust God. And my pride got in the way. So he goes there. He gets to Arana and he's like, okay, I want to buy your threshing floor. For the full price. Anybody realize that that's kind of weird? Arana never told him a price, so he could have just made up something. He could have come up with some crazy, audacious number. He doesn't know the price. It wasn't listed on Craigslist. It wasn't on Redfin or Zillow or realestate.com. Like, he just goes up to the man and he says, I want your land and I want it for the full price. For the full price. Now, what's interesting is David is the king. At any time, he can just go to Arana and say, I'm taking your land. Thanks, buddy. He doesn't need to buy it. He can appropriate it at any time. And God never told him he needed to own the land. He could have rented it. He could have paid a day rate. Like he didn't need to buy the land, yet David felt compelled to not only buy the land, but to pay full price. Now, I want us to lean in because what's happening here is going to be so important. If you want to see God do amazing things through your life, which I believe you do. I think that's why you're here. I think you want to live a life that matters. How many know we're all going to die one day? It's the most perfect statistic. It's going to happen. We're all going to die one day. David knows he wants to make his life count. Watch the reasoning behind why David wanted to build an altar on the land which he purchased. Look at verse 23. Here, Arana responds to him. He says, take it, my Lord. Take it. He says, and use it as you wish. It's a free gift. Arana said to David, and he says, I'll even give you the oxen for the burnt offerings and, and the threshing boards for the wood to build the fire on the altar. I'll even give you the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all to you. How many of you know free is better than full price? He says, I'm an, uh, King, everything that you, that you want, I, I want freedom for the people also. I want deliverance for the people. I want you to be heard by God, and I want you to find favor. I'll give you everything that you're looking for for free. You don't need to, you don't owe me anything. You don't need to buy anything from me. But look at David's response because it's seemingly illogical on face value. Verse 24 says, but the king David replied to Arana. He says, no, I insist on buying it for the full price, not even half price. Not 75% off. He said, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. He said, I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. And watch what he says here. I will not present burnt offerings that cost me nothing. 
Now, I want you to see this, lean into this really quickly, because it's such a small thing. It seems like an insignificant thing. But for some reason, this so deeply moved the heart of God. And for a normal guy, for an average guy, an unqualified guy, an unskilled guy, these sort of things jump out on the, off the pages to me because I go, I want, I want God to, to hear me. I want what I do to, to do something to God's heart. I want him, when, when I respond and when I act and when I behave, I want God to, I want God to feel something when, as I live. He says, I, I will not present burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Now, David could have got this for free. David's the king, so he could have taken this thing. Yet there's something within the heart of David that says that he wants to buy it and pay full price for it. Notice he says, I will not offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He's not offering to buy this with Israel's money. He's not offering to buy this from wealth that he takes from, from the nation. He's not offering to buy this for, for, through his storehouses. He personally wants to sacrifice for land God did not ask him to buy, for, for something he did not, was not required to own, for something that he could have taken on a moment's notice. He wants to buy it. How many of you know we're not here for pleasure? We're not here for God to make things easy for us. What God is requiring, what God wants from us is people that he doesn't demand sacrifice from, but people that willingly sacrifice to see God work through their life. David realized God is wanting my sacrifice. So he says, thanks. I appreciate that you're going to give this to me for free. But I know that God wants me to pay something for this. I know that there's something that's going to change in my heart when, I, when it costs me. Have you ever felt, I know I've felt this a bunch growing up. I grew up in the church. I went to a lot of church services. And I felt like just going to church was my act of worship to God. I'm like, you're welcome. I'm here. Right? Like, you, oh, the pleasure is all yours, God. I'm here. Ronnie's here at the 11 o'clock service. You're welcome. And I spent many, 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 many years following Jesus, going to church, never really allowing that relationship to cost me something on a deep level. I came to church, which cost me nothing. If you notice, you didn't have to pay something when you came through the door. But, but how many of you know there's something that takes place in your heart when something costs you? Have you ever re-gifted a gift to your wife on Mother's Day? I wouldn't encourage you to do that. She's like, you got this from your sister-in-law, and then you gave this back to me. That doesn't communicate love, but when you sacrifice for somebody that you love, it adds importance and significance to the gifts. How many of you know if we want to follow Christ, sometimes it's going to require something costly from us? David didn't just want to build an altar. He wanted to buy the altar. For some of you, you're in relationships and you're wondering, man, this seems to be costing me sacrifice. And it seems like it's going to require future sacrifice. Like, David, once you buy this land, you know that you're going to have to sacrifice on it again, right? 
Like this is going to be a place where you offer sacrifices to God. Isn't that sacrifice enough? For some of you, I want to encourage you. There's something in buying into the sacrifice that you're going to make. In your marriages, you're wondering if the sacrifice is worth it. I want to encourage you. David would encourage you. Buy the altar. It's going to cost you future sacrifice, but buy the altar. For some of you, you have kids that are just difficult right now. Maybe they're estranged. Maybe they're costing you deeply. Buy the altar. It's worth it. If you're in a job that might seem like it's a dead end, buy the altar. Be faithful. Let it cost you something. What David does is illogical, but it's not illogical if you know that the God of the universe is watching. He cares about you, and he'll be moved by your sacrifice. God didn't require him to sacrifice, but David knew, I'm going to do something, and I know God's watching me. I wonder, when was the last time that you remembered God's eyes are upon you? When was the last time that following Jesus cost you something? That your marriage cost you something? That your purity cost you something? That the call on your life, that God placed on your life, when did it cost you something? I believe that we'll miss out on God's call for our life if we're unwilling to take up the sacrifice that costs us something. And I think a lot of people, I've spent most of my life thinking that maybe my sacrifice, what good is my sacrifice? I'm just, I'm just one guy. I can only do so much. I only got so much money. I only got so much time. I only got so much emotional energy. Anybody have uh, relationships that seem to just suck emotional energy out of you? You're like, I only got so much to give. I want to share with you a story. There's a, a couple back in Denver that as an individual, as a couple, they sacrificed in a way that for them seemed like it was insignificant. And even at the time, up until a few years ago, seemed insignificant. But I, I wanted to play this story this weekend because for some of you, I think you have diminished or undermined maybe what you have an opportunity to contribute, not only to the world, but to your city, to your relationships, to your church. And I want to share with you this story because through this family, individual, personal sacrifice, thousands of people have come to Christ and a city is being changed. Would you watch this video? I've known Paul and Glenda Veliquit since I was a child. We grew up uh, a street apart in Santa Cruz, California. When we originally came out to Denver to follow God's plan and his call to help start a church, um, the only people we knew when we arrived in Denver, the only people we knew were Paul and Linda Bellicott. They were pastors of their own church, which was Abundant Life Christian Center. There came a time where they were going to purchase a new building and had felt God called them to buy this building on Hackberry Hill. In order to do that, they were going to have to have quite a sizable 
um, you know, generosity campaign from the church. When they left California, they had they had a house. So as you know, as we began to really ponder, Glenn and I, what it was that we could do. Um, we both knew immediately that the thing we were going to have to do was sell the house. So then the question was, okay, so you sell the house. How much are you going to keep? And how much are you going to give to the church? And the Holy Spirit said, all of it. They felt called to literally sell their house and they used that money to put into a building. You know, they got to the point where they needed to sell that building and that incredible property up there on Hackberry Hill. Basically, they'd had a board meeting. Um, financially, things weren't going great, which is the story of a lot of churches. And they said, but we decided that um, God could maybe use Red Rocks Church to do a lo- whole lot more with this space than, than he's going to use our church for. And so if Red Rocks Church wants to buy this building, We'll sell it to you. At one point, they had a vision. It was actually Glenda that had a vision from God um, that they would uh, eventually reach as many people for Jesus Christ in that building as there were bricks on that building. And through what would become probably one of the most kingdom-minded moves... They sold us the property uh, at 72nd and Wadsworth for really a fraction of what they could have sold it for. That that vision that God placed on their hearts has actually come to pass and is still coming to pass. And it might not have been under their their, um, tenure as senior pastors of Abundant Life Christian Center, but that vision was still still carried out uh, through how God continued to use that property. I used to drive by the Arvada campus two to three times a day, taking my kids to school, picking them up from school. And I just remember something telling me, just go, just try it. I I literally, I felt pulled here. When we first got here, we were welcomed and it felt so warm. And I knew in that moment that this is where I needed to be. It's hard to measure like what the impact is going to be. And I could just say from experience, being a part of the Arvada campus from the beginning, the impact has been like so exponential. I don't think there's any other word to describe this building other than my home. God called me home here. This is the fulfillment of a, a dream and an ambition that, that we had as pastors. And uh, to see what's happening inside this building now see people baptized in water see people worshiping the lord uh, listening to the the teaching here is really the fulfillment of a, a dream that we had many years ago and that's how god works he uses us in his story here and now we're we're just a part of we're a part of it we're bricks in a building It's a cool story, and one of the reasons why I wanted to share it with us this weekend is 
Um, I think so many of us belittle what God might be able to do through our lives. Um, Paul and Glenda, in the middle of this sort of call on their life from the Lord as they were building this building, the, the, the dream of reaching as many people in their city as there were bricks in the building, was a call that they had on their lives. Yet when you look at the resources that they had, it didn't necessarily measure up. And even the fruit from their lives didn't seem to necessarily measure up. But how many of you know what God can do with what we bring to him? He can multiply it. He can do more with what we have than what we could do with what we have. And each and every single time we give and we invest into the kingdom of God, there is a multiplication that takes place. And every time you give to what God is doing, the legacy of what takes place always outshines the sacrifice that you made. For Paul and Glenda, this was their story. And now in that building, each and every single weekend, thousands of people gather and hear about the good news of Jesus Christ, all because one couple said, we'll go all in for this thing. How many of you know one day they're going to die? They're going to be face to face with Jesus Christ. And I can promise you they will not second guess for a moment the sacrifice that they made so that people far from Christ could encounter him personally. How many of you know in light of eternity, the sacrifice that we make in these moments is so small in comparison to the legacy that will outlive us and outlast us. What's amazing is now we just know what we know, but 15 years ago in Denver, Colorado, a group of young punks with an ambition to reach people that are far from Christ, build a front porch for prodigals and make heaven more crowded. Now we've seen from that dream, tens of thousands of people that gather every single weekend, all because a couple of friends said, God, what could you do if we just sacrifice personally? We get to sit back now in Denver as we launch campuses and give away money and see thousands of people baptized every single year. And I just wanted to come and encourage you at Austin. What you're a part of could make ripple effects around the world, but it's always contingent upon personal, individual sacrifice. And my belief is that what you guys are a part of right now, God is doing something. It's in the formative stages. God's about to use some young punks, some buddies with ambition and a call of God on their life to impact and influence a city. And I just wanna say, would you be a part of that foundation? Next weekend, we're gonna be taking up an offering and my prayer is that you would never, never, never minimize the personal sacrifice that you can make. Now I get the privilege of coming to places like Austin, Texas and going to Brussels, Belgium and seeing our campuses in Denver and going to the prison campuses in Denver. And I get such pride in my heart because my wife and I sacrificed to see those campuses happen. There's almost not a continent in the world that I couldn't go to to know that when I give sacrificially, I'm a shareholder in life change. I'm a shareholder in people coming to Christ. When I come here, I got pride in my heart because I helped build this from a distance. 
And I'm wondering if next weekend when we bring our offerings in Denver and Austin and Brussels and prisons around the world, when we bring our offering, my prayer is that you would partner with us to see the good news of Jesus Christ go further, faster. And my encouragement to you is never underestimate what God can do through your personal sacrifice to see people come to Christ in Austin, Texas. If you would, would you take your envelope and stand to your feet? What's amazing is the place where David built that altar would eventually be the same place that God would build the temple. How many of you know sometimes what feels like a small sacrifice can turn into a great, great act of glory to the Lord? And I believe that's what's going to take place next weekend. And as we pray and as I close, I want to encourage you, would you just... Take this offering envelope. It's just a symbol, not just of an offering that we're going to do corporately, but as a personal act of sacrifice that I'm, I'm believing God's going to place on every single one of our hearts to build his kingdom and make a sacrifice for something that's going to outlast us, something that's going to outlive us. How many of you know what David was building was a sacrifice with stones? He was building an altar with stones to sacrifice for his own sins. What we're doing with bricks nowadays is we're building buildings and assembling churches in places like this and places like Denver and places like Brussels, not to make a sacrifice for our own sins, but to make visible a sacrifice for our sins that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. And we're just asking, would you help us build more bricks, help us build more homes for prodigals, help us build more front porches for people that are far from Christ. And through our sacrifice, I believe that God's going to do something so amazing and making heaven more crowded. Let me pray for us. God, I just pray as we stand here in this moment, God, we're going to look back on these moments one day. God, at the things that you did through us, the things you did through our resources, the things that you did through our time, the things that you did through our church. And God, with a full heart of faith, God, I'm believing we're going to look back on these days and we're going to be so proud of the sacrifice that we made to see Jesus Christ made famous in the cities around the globe. And God, I pray for Austin, Texas. God, I pray for the move that you want to make here. God, I pray for people that you want to save here, destinies that you want to shape here. God, it all rides on personal sacrifice. And God, our prayer is that you would use us, Jesus. Would you stir us? Would you speak so clearly? God, I pray that next week would be a weekend where we build a foundation for this church to dig deep roots, to make a huge impact in this city. And God, I believe that one day we're going to look back at the tens of thousands of people that were reached because only a select few people decided to say yes when it came to personal sacrifice. God, we want to be used. And God, we want to leave a legacy that lasts not only for us, but for our children and our children's children. God, would you speak to us? What would you have us sacrifice next weekend? We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, would you seal this? And everybody at Red Rocks Church said, amen.